Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. This morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're talking about the big three this morning. The big three, the, the three big relationship um, circles in your life. And so I want to, I want to lead us in a, just a moment of prayer this morning, just asking the Lord to really help us. Father, we come to you, and we're so grateful for your presence in this service. And we thank you for the work that you have done, that you are doing, and that you're going to continue to do. Lord, as we talk about marriage, as we talk about parenting and being kids and employer-employee relationship, Lord, this is where we live. Uh, This is so much of our time. This is so much of our energy. So much of of who we are is tied up in these three relationships. Lord, I ask that you you would minister to us this morning. Where there's places of brokenness, you would bring healing. Where there's places where there needs to be correction, you would bring correction. Where there needs to be encouragement, you would bring encouragement. And I pray that, that the seed of the word would, would be planted and it would bear much fruit. And I thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. So this morning we're talking about the three, the big three, uh, the big relationships in our life. If you look at, at the relationships you're most involved in that take the most amount of time and energy and focus and are most valuable to you are, are most likely, the, if you're married, a husband and wife relationship. If you have kids or if you have living parents, the uh, parent-child relationship. And then if you're employed or an employer, this employee-employer relationship. And so each one of these could be their own sermon. Uh, but since I'm leaving on sabbatical after next week, I don't have months to talk about these. And so we're going to just grab them all at one time and talk about them. The context here is Paul is instructing them and encouraging them as we've been in the, the book of Ephesians to live a life of love. Uh, there's been theology, uh, and then he started getting real practical. And now he just really, really brings it home, literally. And he tells them how to live this life of love in the home. And friends, if our religion doesn't work at home, it's not working. Like, it's not right. If we can't live it at home, if it's not working at home, we're not doing something right. And so Paul really here begins to help us with this and what this looks like. In Ephesians 5.21, he kind of starts this all out. The NIV says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's talking about this. For those who are believers, there's this mutual submission that's involved of loving each other. Uh, I like the way the message says it. It says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. So here he is challenging the Greek and Roman culture of Ephesus in this day, where men were lords over their wives, lords over their kids, over their slaves. If they had slaves, mutual submission would have been counter cultural. Like it wasn't how men were taught to be. Uh, The women weren't respectful to their husbands. They were kind of under this assertitude. Uh, Kids were disobedient. Slaves uh, didn't respect their, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just, it was crazy. And so here he challenges this. That's the historical context. But for us today, I believe it is just as challenging to our modern day culture as well. 
Because here he is telling us to serve, to prefer, to put the other person ahead of ourselves in, the, in these relationships, of ahead of our desires, ahead of our wants, ahead of our needs. And that is so countercultural. And what he does is he takes each one of these relationships and, and he goes the opposite. Because we know the kingdom of God is opposite than the culture of this world around us. And so he flips he flips it, so to speak, and, 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 and we're going to get into this, how it's, it's, he teaches us the opposite of what we would naturally be inclined to do. And when we move into this uh, flow of life and love that, that God has intended, we see that it truly, truly works. And so we're going to be talking about, what, the first of all, what it really means to, to, to be married in a biblical marriage. And, and, you know, the cultural view of marriage is self-fulfillment. It's getting what I want, what I need, getting my needs met. And, and, and that's so just opposite of what a biblical definition. But when people think of a Christian family or a biblical family, um, my concern is that so often it would be this picture of this domineering man and this kind of this measly subservient wife with abused children, right? And it's, that's not it. Like that is not a biblical family. That's not who God has called us to be. So he starts off by talking to the wives and the husbands. And so here, verse 22, he begins to address the wives first. He says, wives, understand and support your husband, your, your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So he starts talking to wives, but he also here begins to give examples to us husbands about how it is that we're supposed to live as well. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. And so here Paul offers this countercultural view that it would be a natural tendency for a wife or a woman to control, to manipulate, to absurd, try to take control of the family. And Paul say, no, that's not the way we're intended to live. Here he's telling the wives to let your husbands be responsible for you. Let your husbands lead. Don't try to do that. Don't try to control it. Don't try to manipulate. Don't try to take things in your own hands. But trust them and, and submit to them. And, and even uh, one translation would say that he uses the word headship. And the idea of headship is even the idea of like a river, like a source of water, and, and that it's connected and that, and that it flows from, and that, you know, it, a, a spring doesn't act, into, or a river doesn't act independently from its spring. And we know that, that God the Father is the head of Jesus, and, 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 and this, this flow, it, it, it flows together, and so it should in marriage as well. That wives, you'd respond to your husbands as we would to Christ sensitive, listening, adoring, responsive. You'd re respect your husbands. And that's, some, that's a choice. That's a choice of respecting, of, of, of preferring them in that. Verse 21 says, submit to one another. I think, um, I think when you think of submission, I, I, think, I think of a puzzle, right? Because if you have a puzzle, you have all these pieces that you have to fit together, and they have to just fit like just right to work. And, and I see that as a picture of submission. Verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your husband. So what does this look like in a, in a biblical context? Well, I think one way to explain it is like emerging on a freeway with a car. Uh, you know, if you're uh, you, that yield that, you know, you come up on the yield sign as you yield to merging traffic, uh, you're submitting to that flow. And, and, and that's how I see as a picture 
of a wife submitting to her husband? Or have you ever tried to, and this is so hard, and, but thankfully I have now, I have progressive glasses, but have you ever tried to thread a needle? You know what I'm talking about? And so I think that's another picture of like, of like submission of wives that you would come and you would work into, you would go to the flow of, you would, you would coordinate, you would bring yourself into the husband. And so uh, just an example of that, of just submitting to that. The interesting thing about submission is that it can't be forced. It has to be voluntary. And there's so many um, uh, distortions of submission in our culture, especially Christian culture. It's just totally not what the Bible intended. And I, okay, so in our first year of marriage, I had the thought, I thought, I wonder if Heather is submitted to me. I wonder if she, if she would be submissive to me. I, I need to test this. I need to see. Yes, I was that stupid. <laughs> I need to see if she'll submit to me. So, so, I mean, she has a habit of like asking me if she can do stuff. And I don't know why, because it's always like, yeah, but she's like, hey, do you care if I, she's trying to be courteous. You care if I go do this with somebody? This is the first year of our marriage. And I thought, okay, here it is. I'm going to test her. And I was like, no, I don't want you to do that. And she was like, really? Well, why? And I said, I just don't. And she's like, well, do you have a bad feeling like from the Lord? Do you think you're, uh, no, I just don't, I just don't want you to do it. The answer is no. <laughs> I promise you, I was that, I was that stupid. <laughs> she looked at me like, you're an idiot. And I was, but she was like, whatever, you know, and, and, and after about 30 minutes, I'm telling you, the, the Holy Spirit was working me over in such a degree that I was like so miserable. And I mean, I probably lasted 30 minutes. I just had to go to her and I had to, um, I had to apologize. I had to ask her forgiveness. And you should have looked, you should have seen the look on her face when I told her I was testing your submission. <laughs> she was like, wow, who did I marry? <laughs> right? That taught me a lot. That, I mean, it was a 30 minute deal, but it, totally changed. And I really, I mean, that, was, that is not what submission is all about. I mean, that is so messed up. And Heather is such a, I would say, such a biblical wife. She, she's, sub, she, she's submissive, not subservient, beat down, like measly mouse, like, because that's not what God has intended. But, but I, I see submission in Heather. I see a biblical wife in Heather as she supported me as I've grown in my calling and ministry. And ladies, that's part of what God has called you to do is to help support and help love and help nurture your husband to be who God has called him to be. Uh, she shows fruit of the spirit. She respects me in my role as husband, even when I'm not worthy of respect. She still shows that to me. She is a, she, she's gracious. She allows me to fail. She doesn't try to be the Holy Spirit in my life. She doesn't try to change me. She lets the Lord do that. She prays for me, and I'm so thankful for her. And, and she, uh, I tell you, our first year of marriage was terrible. Like, it was horrible. It was, it was wasn't it, babe? It was. It was bad. <laughs> but it's great because it's only gotten better every year since. You start off horrible, it only, it'll only get better. But soon after we were married, I ruptured the L5-S1 disc in my back, and I, and I was in my last year of Bible school. I was youth pastor at a church. I wasn't able to work, and uh, I, was, I, was, you know, I was disabled. I was going to have to have a surgery. Uh, there, it was just, it was, it was bad. And we ended up homeless our first year of marriage, and I didn't know how we were going to, 
know how we're going to do it. I just couldn't work. And we lived in L.A. And thankfully, there was a family in our church that said, you guys can come live with us. Because they had a garage. They said, you can come live in our garage. And I was like, okay. And I talked to Heather. Heather, what do you think about living in their garage for six months? And she was like, well, you know, we need to do what we need to do to, you know, to get through with college, get through with school. So we moved into this garage that I, I found out later was rat infested. Seriously, like I'm not talking mice, I'm talking rats that lived. One time one got caught in a rat trap and it drug it halfway across the yard. And literally this rat was this big. Uh, it was huge. And uh, no bathroom. I had to walk across the yard to get into the house to go to the restroom. So Heather is from a surgeon's family, okay? She's a doctor's kid, and now she marries me, and we're homeless, living in a garage. No AC, no heat, in LA. But I'm telling you, she never complained. She never gave me, she supported me, she loved me, she slept on the floor with me, and pregnant. She was pregnant, too. I forgot to throw that in there. We had Maddie the weekend of our first anniversary, so she's I mean, it's like if anybody had an excuse to get out, right? Like, it was her, and she, but she loved me, and she supported me. And I'm telling you, that, like, I owe her forever for that. But that's what I'm, that's just, thank you, babe. Thanks for not leaving me. I appreciate it. So now he gets to husbands, and he gives the husbands a lot more instructions. He says, husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Like, that's such a great thing to just go all out in your love, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Husbands, that's, see, that's, that's opposite of what culture is. Culture for us men is to be selfish, right? Us first. I didn't expect an amen. That's okay. But for us to be selfish, I mean, just of looking after our own needs, of wanting men like we're selfish by nature, aren't we? And and he's saying, no, that's not how you're to live, not to prefer yourself, not to do what's best for you, but to lay your life down for your wife and for your family. Christ's love makes the church whole. And and here he begins this this picture of the way Christ loves and leads the church is the way husbands, we're supposed to love and to lead our families, even to the point of sacrifice, even to the point of sacrificing everything, not just this theoretical, I would take a bullet for you. I'd give my life for you. And I know husbands, you all would. But how about living a life that we're giving away? Give this one away right now of sacrifice and love for our family. What's best for them? Everything he, speaking of Christ, everything he does and says is designed, designed to bring out the best of her, speaking of the church, you and I, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives, they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. He's like, it's just going to just love your wife, take care of her, and it's, it's going to be even better, Paul's saying. He says, no one abuses his own body, does he? Men, do we abuse our bodies? No, we feed it, we pamper it, don't we? Yes, we do. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. He leaves and he cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. They're no longer two, but they're one. It's a, it's a mystery, huge mystery. And Paul's like, I can't, I can't fully understand marriage. And, and all the husbands here would say, amen. Like, we can't fully understand it, but 
What he is saying is clearest to me, it's the way that Christ treats the church. And that's a picture, husbands, of how we're supposed to treat our wives, of loving her, honoring her, opposite of what culture would teach us. This giving ourselves, loving them, giving everything for them. Do you guys remember the story a few weeks ago when John Rusk uh, was here? And he'll be here speaking in a few weeks. I'm excited to have him here. Um, he was talking about when he went to Bangladesh and uh, they were planting churches. They were working with the pastors. They had just come to Christ. They were unreached people groups. And I don't know if you remember this question or not, but the question they had, they had, they had the question they had for the pastor was, for, for John was, he said, now, <clears throat> before we came to Christ, when we beat our wives, we wouldn't use a stick bigger than our thumb. But now that we're Christians, what's the standard? What, kind of, what size of stick can we use to beat our wife? Is it any different? These are Christians. This is their culture. This is how they've been for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. How do you teach somebody how to do this? You know what he did? He said, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 5. And he began to talk about how Christ loves the church. And began to ask them, said, well, how does Christ teach you? And it changed everything. It wasn't a cultural thing. It wasn't, no, you take this American culture. It was, what does the Bible say about how we treat our spouses? And so they began to stop beating their wives. And when they came back a year later, the wives were actually helping lead the churches. Because that's such a biblical, the honor and the place of women is such an important part of the Christian ethos. And so here we know, even in even the, the book of, of Timothy, uh, he's told, we're told to husbands to live with our lives in an understanding manner so our prayers are not hindered, hindered. That when we don't live with our wives in an understanding manner, doesn't say we have to understand them, okay? Understanding manner. That if we don't, our prayers are actually hindered. This is so important how we treat our way. We cherish, we honor, we're kind, we're faithful, we're gentle. Think of how Christ leads you. Think of how Christ loves you. Think of how Christ invites you, entreats you, encourages you, comforts you. That's how we are to, to treat our wives. To prefer their needs, to show care and compassion, to be there for them, to value them like a precious jewel, to guard and to protect and, and let God cultivate the best out of them and to be willing to give all. And that we truly become one flesh. And ideally, our marriages grow to this place of being one flesh in such a way that, we, that a husband and wife complement each other and, and, and complete each other to such a degree that it's a team leading. It's a team um, that is um, being fruitful and multiplying and, and inhabiting the earth and is taking dominion over where God has called them to take and what God has called them to do. And, and so Heather and I, we make our decisions together. You know why? Because we have to live with the decisions together. And so when we make these decisions together and to, to please the Lord of just a, a partnership, a partnership together. So that's the, that's the first set of relationships. This next set of relationships is child and parent. He starts with the kids, chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. He says, children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Namely, so that you will live well and have a long life. And so here he begins to address kids. And right, isn't this opposite of what culture would, would have our kids be? 
It's opposite. Culture would be to throw off your parents, to rebel. Your parents don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what it's like to grow up now. They don't know what the world's like. They really don't know what they're doing. I can figure this out myself. And, and here Paul is telling here, he's addressing kids. And so kids, if you're, if you're here, if you're here, if you're a young adult or you're a kid, you're still at home, you're, you're still dependent on your parents, your life will go better if you obey them. It really will. And I promise you, the older you get, the smarter your parents become. The more wise your parents become. The older you get. It's really, really true. And there's a promise attached to this. That if you obey your parents, if you honor your parents, you'll live longer and your life will be better. And like, who doesn't want a long, good life? We all do. He's just, he's setting us up here. To to obey them, to follow them. But as adults, we don't, we don't have to obey our parents now, do we? So it's not applicable to everybody. I mean, you're an adult. You're, I mean, you've moved beyond obeying your parents. And we move now into the realm of honoring parents, of honoring them. And I know some of you have had horrendous home situations, abused, neglected, abandoned, mistreated. And this is a huge instruction here to show honor to your parents. How do you do that? As adults and, and kids, young people, we, need to, we all need to honor our parents. But, but as we become adults, how do we honor our parents if we have living parents? Well, I know one way we can do it is by not dishonoring. And I think that's the easiest on-ramp. If you have trouble of honoring, just start with not dishonoring. Start with not talking bad. Start with not despising. Start with just thanking Jesus that you're alive. Because if your parents wouldn't have got together, you wouldn't be here. And just starting with that, of just thanking the Lord that you exist, and just begin to honor your parents. And, and, and he's just, what Paul's doing here is this is how life works. He wants the, 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 the people in, in Ephesus, the families that were messed up, they were dysfunctional. In America today, our families are messed up, they're dysfunctional. So often statistics in the church aren't much different from outside of the church. And here Paul is telling us how to live of, of wives. Don't try to control and manipulate your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Prefer them. Honor them. Treat them. Kids, obey your parents. Honor them. Do what they say to do. You will not regret it, Paul's saying. And then he begins to address the dads. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Because the cultural tendency, fathers, is for us to try to lead out of strength of personality. Would, would to be harsh, would to come down on, to, to lay down the law. And, and he said, that's not, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to take by the hand, by the lead. Dads, don't, don't leave parenting to your wife. But do it together. Teach your kids together. Be the spiritual leader of your home. Be a, it's not just what we say, it's how we live, it's what we do, that, that when we're long gone, that our kids have a memory of a dad who prayed, who loved their mom, who served them, who did what was best for them. And, and we will, as, we, as we model this in their life, dads, be involved. 
Be easily to be approached. Don't exasperate. Don't frustrate your kids. That's what he's saying. Don't just come down on them so hard that you frustrate them. Instead, train them, show them, instruct them how to lead, how to lead life. It doesn't mean you don't discipline, okay? Like, God forbid you don't discipline your kids. Like, one of the worst things you can, as parents, one of the worst things we can do is not to discipline our kids and not to require them to obey us and to honor us. If you do not require your kids to obey you, to show you respect, to honor you, I am telling you, you are doing a disservice to them. You're doing a disservice to society. And people that don't show respect, that don't have discipline, that don't show honor, they get fired from jobs, their marriages fall apart, they end up in jail. I mean, it's bad. And so as parents, we have to, we have to discipline, we have to Show them what to do. We have to re- it is not wrong, parents, for you to require your kids to honor you. It is right. It's our duty. <laughs> Moms, do not let your kids speak, speak in contempt towards you. Do not let your kids disrespect you. Do not let them do that. It will backfire. It, will, it just does not work. And so you teach them how to, how to, how to have respect. A, a model that Heather and I used, and if you have young kids, this will be really helpful to you. If, uh, if your kids are older now, you'll, you'll, you'll agree to the wisdom of this approach. And we didn't develop this parenting approach. But when our kids were young, we heard of this model of parenting, of discipline called the funnel. And this is what we used raising our kids. So if you think of a funnel, right, it's, top, it's, it's big at the top, and then it gets more narrow and narrow and narrow. And you, know, you, you pour liquid in, and it comes out the bottom. And so you you think, but if you think of that as a parenting style, so often the way our culture parents is when kids are young, they have all this freedom. They can do whatever they want to do. They can say whatever they just, they're just free to, to do. We wouldn't want to put any restrictions on little Joey, would we? You know, we just let little Joey do whatever he wants to do. But then as they get older, it's not working and they're disrespectful and they're disobedient and they can't be trusted. And so it's like this funnel, there's all this freedom, but as they get older, it starts clamping down and, and they lose, they have less freedom and less freedom and more instruction and more instruction and it backfires and our kids rebel because they're getting this choke coming down. So the way we parented and the way I would encourage you to parent is to flip that funnel, flip that funnel. And when your kids are little, they don't have a lot of freedoms. You don't ask them what they want for breakfast. You give them what they get for breakfast and they say, thank you very much. And you don't give them all kinds of choices when they're little. You, 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 you make the choices for them. Then you teach them how to make good choices. So you start with this tight control, a lot of rules, a lot of instruction, not much freedom at all. But as they get older, it's this reverse funnel. You start giving them more freedom, less direct control. And then as they become adults, they can, they're, they're who God has intended them to be. They can handle responsibility. They can, they can handle disappointment. They can handle not having. And, and they just have that freedom. Does that make sense? And so those of you with young kids, or, or you're maybe you're trying to navigate that, that's just a, a kind of a model to keep in mind. Start, start with not much freedom and then work out from there instead of the reverse. And finally, he addresses slaves and masters. In the culture that day, they would have had this. And, you know, I really don't like the fact that there was slavery um, in this, that we run into this. And and I think if you and I were wanting to to write this, we would have said, 
Masters, let your slaves go free. And, and I don't have time to get in the full, unpack all of this. There's this. These passages have been misused over time to say that God would endorse slavery, that he would okay it. I do not believe that. I do not believe it's true. I think it's horrendous. It's, 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 in fact, even in the Old Testament, even if somebody became a servant of somebody, they were, they were set free after seven years. If, like, if they had a debt and they gave themselves to fulfill a debt, they would be set free. I mean, it's, it's, this is not what God intended, but, but we find ourselves sometimes in culture that we can't change. And so how do we operate biblically within this context? Now, we know that slavery in Rome ended up changing. We know as more and more people became Christians, it flipped society. It flipped it. And then, and then it became non-existent around 300 or so AD. But so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about employer-employee relationship. Just real quick, in the last few minutes, we're going to talk about employee and employer relationship. Because the culture is, for us, of employees, the culture around us is do as little as you can to get the most out of it, right? Just, just, just do, do little. Always looking for the best opportunity, always moving, always just whatever's best for me. And, and here he says, servants, respectfully obey your earthly master. So employees, respectfully obey your bosses. Follow their instructions, but always with an eye open to obeying the real master, your real boss, Christ. And so as we're working, remember our boss isn't actually the person that's making our schedule, making our paycheck. It's the Lord himself. That's who we're really employed by. That's who we're really serving. He's really our master. Don't just do what you have to do to get by. Don't, don't do that. But work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face. Right? That good, I mean, here he's talking to slaves. How much more so us that are employed by choice? Work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter what happens, no matter, no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you're slave or free. The Lord will take care of you. And that you respond to your employer as you would respond to Christ. You would with respect, with sincerity, with honesty, because really you're serving the Lord and he will reward you. And that your employment is more than just getting a paycheck. It's living on mission. It's being Christ. It's being the hands and feet of Christ where you are. And you're giving it 100% all the time because it's the Lord who is really your master. And I want to challenge you, those that are employees, to work like you own the business. To work like you're running the business. Because have you ever go, you can go into a restaurant, you can go into a company, isn't it, sometimes, isn't it so quick to see who the owner is or who the manager is? Not because of titles, not even because of age, but because of focus, because of quality, because of attentiveness, because of caring. I mean, just caring. You can quickly identify, okay, there's the boss. There's a manager. They care more. What if you lived your life that way? What if you were that kind of employee that, that not because you're controlling everything, but because of the care, because of the attention, because of the focus, because of the passion that you bring to your job, people think you're the owner because of the way you care, because of the way you serve. I think that's what he's, he's saying here. Martin Luther said this, it's quoted that Martin Luther said this, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on shoes, 
but by making good shoes. That, that's how we honor Christ. That's how we make it, by doing our jobs well. Doing it well, that's our, that's our Christian duty. And finally, employers. He says, masters, bosses, employers, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threat. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. If the Lord's blessed you and you're in a place of, of leadership where you work, maybe you're an owner, maybe you're a manager, shift leader, whatever you might be, lead those that you serve as you would want to be treated. Lead them in that way. Treat your employees the same way you want to be treated. Respect them. Show sincerity with them. Be honest with them because really you're serving the Lord and you'll be rewarded. And you're not better than they are. Like, don't, have you ever worked for somebody who just thought they were better than you because of the job they had, the title they had? Oh, let's don't be like that. Let's don't be those kind of people. Let us serve. Let us help our employees be the very best they can be. Let us empower them, serve them, do for them what we want. Imagine if you were the employee, how would you want to be treated? How would you want to be rewarded? How would you want to be compensated? How would you want to be empowered? How would you want to have the expectations clarified, right? Do that for those that work for you. Do that. And so here we see, as we wrap up this morning, that Paul's teaching us how to live in the closest relationships we have. That even as an owner, that the, the cultural tendency would be to lord that over them, to use it as a threat or manipulation that, yeah, if you don't do what I want all the time, your job's gone. You're, psst, I can replace you like that. It's trying to have control or be condescending. or You say, no, that's not how we live. That's not, that's not how we treat people. And here he teaches us how to live in the closest relationships we have in our families, husbands and wives, with parents, with kids, where we work. We put him first and we live, we, we, the body of Christ, live this life of love in those relationships closest to us. That our religion would truly work at home. That our religion would truly work in the workplace. The people will know us by our love. Isn't that what Jesus told disciples there, the world is going to know your disciples by the way you love. Wives, by the way you love your husbands. Husbands, by the way you love your wives. Kids, the way you honor and respect your parents. Parents, the way you care for, attend, discipline, love your children. Employees, the way you serve and care for and love those around you. Employers, the way you love and care for your employees. The world will know us by our love. Will you stand with me this morning? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, it's a perfect opportunity to bow your heart to him this morning to say, Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to give my life to you, that you would confess him as your Lord and as your Savior. You can do that right where you are right now. You can say, Jesus, I acknowledge you're the Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. You'd redeem me. You'd restore me. I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. I receive eternal life right now. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love for you to let me know, let one of our prayer teams know this morning. In fact, we're gonna, in just a minute, we're going to, we're gonna sing a song and then we're gonna conclude the service. But before we do that, if our prayer teams would come and set up over here, set up over here, they're gonna be available to you either during the song or after. But this is what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray over our families, over our husbands, our wives, our 
our parents, our kids, and then over employers and employees. And you can stay where you're at if you want. You can do that. But if you would like to just, if you'd like to come forward, maybe if, if, you're, if, if you have a, a spouse here, if you and your spouse want to come forward, or if your kids are here, if you want to come forward with your kids, or if we have work situations, we have employers, employees here together, if you guys would want to come together, if you don't want to come down here, I, I want to pray for you this morning. Just a general prayer over you. You can do where you're at, but if you this morning, the Lord's really worked in your heart and you want to bring your family forward, I'd love to pray for you. In fact, let's just, we'll take a few seconds just to do that now. Don't delay. But if you as a family want to come down, if you as an employer, employee want to come, just come on down. Yeah. Anybody else wants to be in on this? All right, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, how you call families out. I thank you, Lord, how you have set us apart, Lord, to be different, to be countercultural. And Lord, I pray blessing on families today. Lord, I pray your hand on families today. Lord, I pray where there's been brokenness, Lord, that you'd bring healing in this moment, right here, right now, Lord, I pray for our children. Lord, I pray that you would give our children, Lord, hearts to serve you and to follow with you. And you would help us as parents, Lord, to love our kids, to discipline, to serve, to be the model of who you've called us to be. Lord, I pray you, we would be successful in our vocations. Lord, that we would, that we would, be, we would fulfill the call on our life, Lord, that, that we're not defined by our job. I thank you for that, Lord, that what we do isn't who we are. Who we are is much larger than how we make a living. And Lord, right now, we ask for your help in these areas. We ask for your help. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us, and we pray you have a blessed day.